0: At the Ritz-Carlton, every employee has the authority and the ability to invest $2,000 into a customer, one of their clients. Did, did you know this? And I mean every one. The bellhop that gets your luggage, the front desk workers, the custodial staff, uh, the room service team, they all are empowered to spend $2,000 if a customer complains about something. If they say, like, oh, my air conditioner was out last night, the room service people can say, oh, we're so sorry, sir. We'd love to give you a free dinner voucher tonight. If you see a custodial person in the hallway and you say, my TV, my cable wasn't working right last night. All I got was two channels. I'm so sorry, ma'am. We'd love to comp your room for the night. We'd love to give you a free, a free room, an additional night. That's because one of the founders of the Ritz-Carlton, Horst Schultze, wanted the Ritz-Carlton to be known for excellence in customer service. And he wanted to empower his employees to not just be employees, to be, he calls it this, that we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that, That they are empowered to be leaders but there was also something else behind it, because they knew something that, all, that retail and hospitality industry leaders know, and it's something called the CLV. Any of you ever heard of this in the business world? Customer lifetime value. That means how much money will a loyal customer spend at your company? Will they buy shoes from your clothing store? How much, lo- how much a loyal customer will spend on coffee at your coffee shop? Over the course of their lifetime, how much would a loyal customer spend at Ritz-Carlton if they will be a loyal customer? And the CLV for Ritz-Carlton is $250,000. Now, if you don't know how much that is or what that feels like, just thought I would show you in 20s what $250,000 feels like, looks like. It's fake, so you can put your weapons away. Um. (laughs) This is a lot of money to all of us. $250,000. So, the Ritz-Carlton figures, what's two grand? Here's the interesting thing. These are bundled up in... $2,000 $2,000 and stacks of $100. What's one of these for all of these? Right? So what if we comp a $1,500 a night room because somebody had a bad experience with their cable? Because if we will create them into becoming, if we will help them become a loyal customer, they will spend $250,000. So it's pretty easy. $2,000? It's nothing. Because they're worth $250,000. But is that all one person's worth? What about for us? What is one worth? Some of you have maybe been in church for a while, and you've been through financial campaigns before. Uh, Perhaps you've been through good ones. Perhaps you've been through bad ones. Some of you are new to church. Some of you are new today and you're like, oh no, they're going to talk about a building and money for the next five weeks. Or some of you are kind of new to church in the last month or two and you're thinking, gosh, I've never been a part of this. You've never been a part of a campaign to build a building or to reach more people. So the next five weeks are going to have a lot of numbers. You already heard a lot of numbers today, right? There's going to be a lot of numbers about square footage There's a lot of numbers about how much it's going to cost, $9.5 million for that building. That's a lot of money to all of us. You're going to hear numbers and think about numbers and pray about numbers about what you're going to give, and and perhaps all of those numbers have had more zeros and decimals than you're used to customarily dealing with. It's going to be a lot of details, which is why I want you to go to a small fellowship I want you to be a part of this because we want you to answer questions, and there's no way all of those details are going to all sink in just on Sunday mornings. But I'm not going to spend the next five weeks talking to you about money. You'll hear enough about money. I'm not gonna spend the next five weeks talking to you about a building you'll hear enough about the building there are pictures you can see on the website out in the atrium I hope you go along the windows and uh, and look at all those pictures I'm going to spend the next five weeks talking to you about our mission and our vision and why it matters so much I'm going to talk to you about our giant God-sized dream that seems impossible without God doing something in us and moving among us. I'm going to talk to you about all of those things. But as big as the God-sized dream is, as awesome and big as the building that we're going to build is going to be for the next-gen uh, ministry, as big as the numbers that we're going to talk about, they're all big numbers. But the only, the only number that matters, the one that matters most, is that one. One, what is one worth? Because I already know the answer. One was worth Jesus' life. One is worth Jesus leaving the glory seed of heaven for the gory scene of the cross. One is worth the light of the world going into the darkness of a borrowed tomb. One is worth the prince of peace suffering the pain of crucifixion and the restoration power moving on to resurrection. One is worth me reimagining how God is calling me to step up to the plate, reconsidering how God is calling me to give and recommitting to myself to serve like I've never served before. One was worth the life of Jesus, and I just think one is worth it for me to reconsider everything. One is worth it. You were worth it, and the you sitting beside you was worth it. So what is one worth to us? This is the heart of the first of our three focal points Of our campaign that we're gonna talk about for the next three weeks before we kind of wrap it up on the last two that we are for one what why is it called the for campaign first and foremost because we're for one we're always for one more changed life but sometimes we struggle with the value of 1 because we live in a culture where majority rules where we we kind of believe in the strength of numbers and the power of the crowd right majority rules in voting It it doesn't matter if you're electing a homecoming king or queen, if it's a local or national political election, if it's the Heisman Trophy, or if it's where the family's going to eat dinner and what movie you're going to watch on Friday night. Majority rules. And social media has only amplified this. It's only amplified this. We give more value to someone who has thousands of followers than just a few followers. We even have a name for them, right? Those people are influencers. A post doesn't go viral when it only has one share. A post goes viral when it has thousands of shares. We are a big numbers, majority rules crowd and it can be easy to believe, it can be easy to believe that there's not much value in one and this is the way the world has always worked. So Jesus told a story about the value of one. In fact, <laughs> one of the reasons Jesus told this story is that there were a lot of people who questioned if one was worth the energy and the time, especially if, <gasps> gasp, the one is a sinner. Then we're gonna look at Luke chapter 15, verses one. And following if you're watching online love for you to turn in your uh, in your Bible there or maybe you got an app open if you're in the room and you don't have a hard copy Bible and you want to read this further take one at the at the bookshelves right when you leave it starts off with some context before Jesus goes into the story he's going to tell about who's around who's listening uh, this is what it says now the tax collectors and sinners, we're all gathering around to hear Jesus. Oftentimes in the New Testament, you will hear, you will, you'll read this. It'll say tax collectors and sinners. It is not because it does not say tax collectors and sinners because the tax collectors weren't sinners. They were such bad sinners they had their own category of sin. <laughs> like if you just said he's hanging around with ta- with sinners, you'd be like, well, I mean, not great. Hang around with tax collectors and sinners, that's bad. They're the worst of the worst. The tax collectors and sinners are gathering around, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, religious leaders, and people who loved God, sometimes the Pharisees and the teachers of the law get a bad rap. These people followed God's commands. They loved God. They were trying to be faithful, but they were muttering about what they were seeing. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them The scandal. And this tension, this tension is real when thinking about those outside our circle. The religious leaders are just kind of giving voice to what we all feel, that people that aren't in the circle, people that aren't in the room with us, they probably don't think like us, behave like us, act like us, vote like us, talk like us. They might not even be like us. And this tension, this tension, it it can happen in churches too. And I've experienced, I've been doing this for 23 years. And this, every church struggles with this tension, okay? And here's what it is. I call it the gravitational pull inward, there is this gravitational pull inward of religious people sometimes to just kind of become concerned more with what's happening inside than how we can reach those outside. We begin to scoff at those outside. We be, we, we begin to ridicule the world so much we so say that that's the problem with the world. It's every it's all those people out there. It's those people. It's that group. That's what's wrong with the world. If they would just get into church, that would fix the world. And we never consider maybe the church should get out there like it just it just becomes so easy to get comfortable inside there's this gravitational pull inward and can I just be honest can I just be honest it would be so easy for us to get comfortable I mean we've got enough people it feels good in here right not too empty not too full it's enough we have enough resources that we have excellent ministries in our next gen ministries with, so we've got enough resources that we can have a great staff to pour into our students. We've got a great staff to pour into our, uh, pour into our, our kids. We got a staff in college ministry now that's that's, that's launching and starting. We got staff to pour into young adult leaders. I mean, we could just get really comfortable and decide we don't need to build anything. We don't need to change anything. We've got room for us. Everything is great. In fact, why don't we just change our mantra? We don't need to be hashtag for Birmingham. We could just be hashtag for us. The building's for us. The ministries for us. The staffing's for us. Everything's for us. This week, we'll scratch off the stickers off the window. When you come and look over the mountains next week, it'll say hashtag For us. It doesn't even feel good to say, does it? And there's a reason because you were made in the image of your Heavenly Father. And the heart of the Father is for the world, for God so loved the world. And Jesus is going to tell us that if we're going to be who we were created to be in God's image, then it means having a heart for the one. It's who we are created to be. We don't want to be for us. Listen to what Jesus says. He tells them a story. Everybody's listening. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the sinners, and the tax collectors. Jesus tells them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses just one of them, just one. And then Jesus asks a question, and I don't know if it's rhetorical. I'm like, I don't know with this question. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after lost sheep until he finds it? And I think most of the people listening there would go and, I don't know. (laughs) Would you? I mean, numbers are all kind of relative, right? What has value? But if you had a hundred bucks and you lose one dollar, would you put the $99 at risk to go find a dollar, a buck? I mean, if it meant that you could lose five or ten more dollars just to gain that one, would you? Did you risk that? Let me get a little bit bigger. Is $1,000 a lot of money? Yes, thank you. $1,000 a lot of money. I'd I'd buy a real nice big TV. Right, brothers? Amen. Amen. Super Bowl Sunday coming up. Coming up. Game look good on that baby. $1,000. Get a real big one at Sam's Club. But if you had 100 of those, $100,000, and you lost 1000 would you put $999,000 at risk or $99,000 at risk would you put $99,000 at risk to go find 1000 that you lost would you risk losing another five or ten or $30,000 or would you just say $99,000 ain't bad so I think everyone listening to the story goes, I don't know, Jesus. That seems risky. I don't know that I would, I don't know that I would risk recouping one at the expense of the possibility of another. If you're, if you're listening to the story, you kind of know how it works. You know, Birmingham's not a big shepherding community, right? But 100 sheep was a lot of sheep this shepherd would have been pretty wealthy to have 100 sheep. And this would mean that he would have to leave the sheep, the 99, in the care of a lesser trained assistant. And do you remember where it said he left them in? The open country? A less ex- he is putting them at risk for the one. Everybody there that knew shepherding would have said, I, I don't know. But Jesus says it's not the sheep that gives it the value. It's the shepherd. This is what Jesus says. His shepherd would go after the one. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found what? My. My lost sheep. Jesus says the sheep, has value because it's mine the owner gives value to the sheep this sheep is valuable because it's mine and it can be really easy to have, kind of have the motto is if there's 99 everything's fine but it's not fine to the owner It's not fine if that one sheep is his. And Jesus is sending a message to the Pharisees that these sinners and tax collectors that you hold your nose up to, these sinners and tax collectors that you mutter about, they are mine. Every sinner from Jerusalem to Jemison, from Bethlehem to Birmingham, belongs to Jesus. They're his. They matter to God. They matter. He's willing to risk everything. And I think you believe that. I think you have that heart. I think that's why you come to a church like Mountaintop. Because you remember that you were one of the ones at once. And you want to help reach all the other ones. But if we're going to do that, we got some logistical problems. We got some logistical problems. And we've got to make some, some changes to our facility. If we're going to live into our value of hospitality to make room for them, to welcome them. That's why we're creating new spaces. We're, we want to change lives one at a time. We're crafting the outdoor spaces that you have seen. Can't you wait, just, I can't wait to sit out there and have some coffee, have some lemonade. We believe that we need community. And I believe after the pandemic, the world is more hungry for community than ever before. We want to create spaces for community to happen. We want to create space for them to park because there's nothing more frustrating than visiting a church for the first time and you can't find a parking spot. Some of you fought that and you came anyway. Thank you. But we want to make it easier for people, everyone, coming. We want to create spaces for children, for students, for next generation spaces to have more room for more families. We are making room. We are making room for the one that you are inviting the one that you're inviting. Now, but our vision isn't just about a building, and that's one of the reasons that the, I'm so excited about the 4 campaign is that sometimes it becomes all about bricks and sticks, but that is not our only plan and our only vision to actually reach our community. Over the next three years, we want to invest in digital ministry, in production ministries because when they park in one of those new parking spots and when they come inside that new kid's wing and they check their kid in and they walk in the doors or they log on for the very first time like some of you did, we want them to feel the excellence of ministry that the majesty and glory that our God deserves. So we want to invest in the the high capacity staff to help lead in digital and production spaces. Now, sometimes people ask, "So is this just about getting a crowd?" Is that all it is? We're just trying to fill this place up and get as many people in here? I want to tell you about something that we've been doing in the last couple years because we saw this coming. In 2021, we started four, just four, life-on-life discipleship groups. These were a commitment of one-year groups of about three to five people, very small, with a one-year commitment to dig into the Word of God together, to study core foundational principles of what it means to be a devoted follower of Christ with the vision that every person would grow as a disciple and be a disciple maker and have their own group. For in 2021, 2023, we launched 11 more groups off of that. 11 more groups. We've got 30, 40 people in those groups now. Our vision is that in 2023 and this fall, we will launch about 30 plus groups of 3 or 4 people digging into God's Word. By 2025, we will have 100 plus groups hopefully investing in over 3 to 4 to 500 people in our church. And Eventually, our vision is that every single person that is part of Mountaintop will go through a life-on-life discipleship year to dig into God's Word. That Eventually, we will run out of people in the church to invite into our groups as we multiply and we will have to invite people in our neighborhoods in our community in our sco- in our schools at our workplace because we want to be people who've not just followed Jesus and not just are inviting people to follow Jesus we have a vision to invite and what Equip people to follow Jesus out in the world. Our vision is for everyone to become a faithful, devoted disciple of Jesus so that they will be a disciple maker out in the world. This is not just about getting as many people into the building. This is about getting as many people into the building to deploy them to change our city. That's what it's about. So now there's this this other thing that people ask sometimes. It's like, well, how big do we want our church to get? I hear this. This is this is kind of the stuff pastors hear. I'm not sure I want to go to a megachurch, right? Does anybody really want to go to a megachurch? Like I don't, I don't know that I want to go. You know, I don't want it to get too big. We're comfortable. I, I mean, this is building projects and big visions are always challenging because they are always announcing change things are going to change around here and here's the problem with that you like things the way they are or you wouldn't be here right you don't need anything to change for it to like it you already like it the way it is and listen this we can just have that motto right when you're in the 99 everything's fine unless you're the father unless you're the good shepherd who has a heart for the one and so this is the question I always ask to people when we when they say that I'm not sure how big we want to get. Like right now we're like a like thousand people. What if we just say 1,500? 1, 1,500 is the cutoff. Do we put a greeter at the door with a clicker? <laughs> 1,499, 1,500. I. And what if we get to that day, and that's the day that your friend, your neighbor, your coworker, your boss, your loved one that you've been inviting for a year or two, and you've been investing in their relationship, and they finally give church a chance, and we say, sorry, you're 1501 today, no Jesus for you. We're hashtag for us. That's ridiculous, right? Right? You see, when we think about those questions and we worry about if it's too big or what are we going to do and all this and the change is going to come and there's going to be some inconvenience while construction going on, we think about all that stuff. If we will just zero back in on my friend, we are not doing this to just become a big church. We're not doing this just to grow. We're not for one just because we want to reach a thousand more people. We're for one because of your one. Because I want us to be ready when your loved one finally comes. Your son, your daughter, your niece, your nephew, your coworker We're for one because of your one. Your friends, your one matters to the good shepherd. Well, when it's your one, Jesus closes it out. It's worth a party. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And I think that last line in there is just to remind us that we were all at one time unrighteous persons who needed to repent. But, like I said in the beginning, what happens is that we repent of our sins and we get baptized and we get saved and we grow in righteousness and we become more faithful and more spiritually mature. But then it can become so easy to get insider focused, so easy. Have that gravitational pull inward and we can just all of a sudden church can become about my preferences and about my wants. And listen to me, I love discipleship. It's why I lead a life-on-life life discipleship group. I love Bible study. I love digging in and engaging scripture. I love deep theological conversations. But there are no parties in heaven when 99 people show up to a Bible study. And there are no parties in heaven when 99 people go on a mission trip. And there are no parties in heaven when 99 people come to a night of worship. But there is a party in heaven when one person repents of their sins and comes to new life in Christ. and I I do not want to give the rest of my life and the rest of my ministry and the breath in my lungs for 99 Christians to just sit around and study God's Word. I want them to be the Word of God in the city and throw parties for people coming home. Because I think, I think one is worth it. One is worth it. We're not doing a campaign for us. We're not building a building for us. We're building a building to throw 52 parties a year for lost children to come home. And it's a huge price tag, $9.5 million. Ritz Carlton says one person is worth 250000 It's a lot of cash. 9.5 million is a lot more. Is one worth it? (laughs) We're not trying to reach a thousand more people. We're trying to reach one person a thousand times over. And I think it's worth my inconvenience, worth my sacrifice, worth my energy, worth serving, worth giving. You were worth it. Somebody did that for you. I was worth it. Somebody did it for me. Don't you want your one, don't you want everyone to know the good news that they are worth it too? Would you pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son for us. Give us your heart for the one. Inspire us, God, not to give money, not to just volunteer. Inspire us to have the heart of the Good Shepherd and the rest will take care of itself. In Jesus' name, amen. When you came in, you got these two cards and a pen. One's for you to keep and one's for you to leave. I want you to get your phones out. The band's going to close us out, and I just want you to stay there in your seats. I want you to get your phone out and scroll through your contacts and find your one. Perhaps it's somebody you've never thought of before. Maybe it's a coworker, a friend. One person that you want to see come to faith in Jesus who has kept God, who has kept church at arm's length, but you know if they could just know how much God loves them, it would change their life and it would change their world. I want you to just write their first name on both cards. You keep one and when you go out, there'll be some folks to help you put it on the F outside and every time you walk in those doors, you remember that what we do isn't just about strangers in Birmingham, what we do is about my one and your one.